Friday afternoon in town. Good afternoon. It's KPFK and your very own radio at 90.7 FM all over Southern California. Out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM. And of course, streaming for the whole planet at kpfk.org, which is so cool. I just dig <laughs> that. I think, I think that is so very, very cool. And the podcast also, you can... Always listen to our free podcast by going to kpfk.org or the iTunes Music Store. Put my name in or my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Get that free podcast going. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Great show for you till 2 o'clock this afternoon. We will take your telephone calls a little bit later in the hour. And you're in for a big treat, especially those of you who've been listening to this radio show for some time, because my guest today, live in the studio, is uh, a prolific author, a teacher, a speaker, a philosopher, um, and I like to say a friend, really. We've done this. That's probably the first and foremost word. It is, so <clears throat> I saved it for last. <laughs> uh, because we go back to certainly the early 80s. Easily. Yeah. When uh, I get a telephone call from this guy, and at that time, of course, you were working with uh, the late Vernon Howard, and we had Vernon on the show, and you were like a mentee to Vernon, and took off with his blessing like a rocket, and have set up your own uh, uh, foundation up in Oregon, and uh, I understand you have a brand new book, or a new and revised expanded edition of The Secret of Letting Go. Guy Finley, my guest, folks. Guy Finley. Hello, Guy. Welcome to KPFK. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Nice to be with you. I appreciate you coming down. Uh, it's my pleasure, and yes, um, we uh, about a year ago, my publisher, Llewellyn, called me and said, Guy, uh, The Secret of Letting Go has been, uh, you know, our best-selling book for almost 19 years. We want to uh, we want to revise it. We think some of the material is outdated, uh, and we want to know if you want to go back through the book. And I said, I'd be delighted to. I did. Uh, there's 80 new pages to the book. Uh, not one page wasn't revised, brought up to date, so to speak, Uh you know, I, gosh, I wrote it in 1980, and uh, I'm I'm not the same man that I was clearly back then. Yeah. And so the the book hopefully is a representation of the best of uh, what was timeless when I found it, and then hopefully the clarity that I've gained over the years of work uh, to bring those principles even into a, a clearer light for the reader. So I'm excited about the book. Uh, and I think 
I think it, I think it's a good thing. What's it like to revisit something that you wrote so successfully 20 years ago to have to deal with the fact that, uh, you know, you, you have grown, you have aged, you've matured. And like all of us, uh, that growth includes some ups and some downs. You know, it was really, it's, it was fascinating because the principles that were true when I wrote them in 1980, they're not less true. The difference is that I can state them more purely. And so it's not so much a, uh, a, a change of my mind. I mean, there are things in other books, you know, I've written a, a, a lot of books over the years, and I can look back at some of them, and, I, and the, the, the words that I used to describe the indescribable, the physiology, you know, things like that. I go, oh, God, what were you thinking about, man? Because I didn't know that I didn't want to confine it into that definition, you know, stuff like that. But the Letting Go book, the principles that were there are as true today as they will be 150 years from now, Michael. That's the thing with anything true, and, and it resonates. And when we find those things, we, we, it makes us move inwardly. We recognize the truth as being something that we know, that someone has reminded us of or redirected our mind, and you can't get around that. <clears throat> so uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to say that the book is just a better book than it was when I wrote it, not different, just better. Well, that's great, because I think it's one of the best books you ever wrote, The Secret of Letting Go. And just the phrase, letting go, letting go. Uh, why don't we start with what's holding on, and then we'll talk about what we're letting go of. What is the holding on problem here? The holding on problem runs a lot deeper than we imagine, because we have become, over time, and not just you and I, over time, the whole culture, we have become master imitators. And the imitative life that we have learned is a life that can be corrected, but not in terms of the fundamental basis of changing the problems that we have. What we change are the problems we deal with as a result of imitation life. And, and to be specific here, when I talk about imitation, I, let's say I have depression, or I'm, I'm in an abusive relationship, or uh, uh, I'm stressed out with anxiety at work. And all I know to do as a human being is to go find an expert and read or write, you know, read or hear what he or she has said or done, and then I will try to take what they have said, and I make a model of it. The mind does it effortlessly, and it creates a model that then it tries to incorporate into one's life. But the model that's created by the mind is an imitation of an idea to begin with, and more importantly, the idea is not what we need. Ideas themselves cannot change us. Ideas are roadmaps that are not intended to lead toward a new destination that's better than the problem we had, but rather there are destined roadmaps that indicate, look, this is where the wrong turn was made. You believed that who you were required other people to approve of you. So therefore, 
you need to succeed according to what your definition and your culture is of success. So I begin to imitate what it means to be a successful human being, and I am five steps away from the problem, which is the idea that something is missing in me to begin with that needed to be corrected. So we have a terrible problem when it comes to a mind that only knows how to compare itself to the world around itself and then come up with solutions that the world has created to bring it into the conflict. The letting go is about discovering that the fundamental problem isn't a problem at all the way my mind has defined it, but rather a relationship that I need to go back and discover in myself where I have fallen away from just learning what it means to be a human being, to not complicate my life with a host of things I need to do in order to change who I am. Michael, we are made to change from within ourselves through ourselves. So the essence or the bulk, let's say it this way, the bulk of what we call our daily problems are symptoms of something deeper? Exactly. They're literally, I, I have a little poem not in the new, the new Letting Go book, but in the book before that one. Uh, the feel is real, but the why is a lie. Mm. The feel is real, but the why is a lie. We know that with children, kid lying in bed, you know, frightened all of a sudden a shadow runs across the room, and mom, dad, God, there's something in the room. Sweetheart, I know you feel this way right now because mm -hmm. the body reacts. All these chemicals pump through. I know you feel this. But the why is a lie, because the why is a shadow. Our fears, our anxieties, our hatreds, our resentments, all of the things that plague us and pain us, Michael, are illusions. They're fabrications of a mind that doesn't know it resists its own creations. So the problem can't be solving a creation of a mind that has made a problem out of something, the problem and the solution is discovering the mind as it does that and then seeing, you know what? The best solution to this fear is something that no fear can tell me what to do. My fear is not going to tell me how to be free of fear. My fear is going to validate itself by its continuity, by telling me what to do. But if I can see that fear must... Look, <laughs> we get right into it, don't we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> You don't mind. <laughs> Our audience is ready for you. Here's a beautiful idea to exempt. Like we're locking yeah, the deep diving yeah, helmet yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. There is no fear of a psychological nature without negative imagination. There cannot be a fear of a psychological origin without negative imagination. In other words, I fear something tomorrow. Well, where is the fear of tomorrow? It is in an image that my mind has produced of what may happen if such and such takes place. So these are phantasms. They are big phantasms. Now, the mind produces, through negative imagination, a dark picture. The mind, asleep to itself, divided, doesn't know, it creates this image, and then it resists its own imagery. Literally creates the fearful picture, doesn't know it's created it, and then turns around and goes, oh my God, look at that. I must protect and plan now in order so this doesn't take place. So it creates the negative image. It resists its own imagery and then sets out to save itself from its own phantasm. 
you know, so paradoxical, so ironic in the whole personal and spiritual development movement is the experience that we have that somehow fear protects us and makes us safe, but that if we allowed ourselves to let go and feel safe, oh, that would be way too scary. Well, there's a big part to it. You said you said something critical. The reason that we believe in fear isn't because we believe in fear itself, but because we believe in fear's solutions to the suffering that fear produces. <laughs> How likely is that? See, and that's a beautiful thing, because the mind asleep to itself right. doesn't know that first it creates the pain by resisting a condition. Then, as soon as the pain is there... It's off the fact that it produced the picture. Now it's going to produce the plan to rescue itself from its own imagery. The beauty of the work that, and not I do, I, I just don't, I, sometimes the word I has to come out. It's just not, the work that we're talking about is as timeless as it is. Even Christ said, resist not evil. That's what he was saying. Is that when the mind produces this, it creates for itself a time in which it won't be what it fears. It produces a time, a future. What we're talking about, and the reason that it's so, it, it really works, is because the mind can catch its own time-making machinery. It can catch itself producing a fear and the freedom that it envisions and recognize the problem isn't going to be solved in a freedom to come, but rather in releasing, letting go in the moment of this wrong relationship with fear itself. Then time is canceled, literally canceled. If I catch my mind getting ready to get me anxious, for instance, I got lost on the way over here, and I don't want to be late for any appointment, let alone to talk to you. And I could see my mind, it starts racing, it start, wants to blame the, 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 the person who wrote out the instructions and all that business. My task is to stay in the car and deal with what I'm given in the moment. And what I'm given in the moment is that I need to be clear thinking in order to get hold of someone here to direct me. If I let my mind run off in anxiety and all the rest of that, I'm endangered on the road, I'm filled with resentment, I'm going to get angry, and time produces when this is going to be, what's going to happen, the negative outcome. And all I have to do is let go of the future and stay in the present moment. But that's the rub. Because then I'm living with what I am in the moment. I'm living with an awareness of what my mind is doing. Michael, we don't have an awareness of what our mind is doing. It's not easy to develop. And even once we develop it and teach it, I mean... I really value the fact that you admit you get sucked into it on a daily basis, even as teachers. It, it never, the mind, the divided mind, can. it's like a donut machine. It produces donuts. I mean, you, you, <laughs> That's what it does. Yeah, it's, it's not going it's, it's to give you uh, baked Alaska. It's going to give you a donut. Why does it not, why the resistance? I mean, let me say this, and then I'll restate that question. Because that's where the pain is, not in what's happening to exactly. us, but our resistance to it. Exactly. Okay, we've heard mystics say this. It's not only true about emotional pain or mental suffering, but I know from practicing hypnoanesthesia at the dentist for 30 years that if I use altered states, deep relaxation, 
if I, in a sense, talk to my teeth and say a dentist is going to come in with drills and picks and poking, but I'm paying them to do this. It's, oh, stop. Oh, it's, stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, that this allegory of pain, of, of, of allowing it to come in, of facing it, physical pain, yes, and dying to that physical pain, we're able to transcend it. And people say to me, well, how do you tolerate it? I said, there's nothing to tolerate. It ceases to exist. And they say, you mean physical pain is a phantasm, a nightmare, a, a function of perception? And I say, yeah, it definitely yes, yes. is. And I can anchor into that then when my mind or my heart begins to resist. And I understand its tendency to want to resist, to want to fight back, to well, want to be. It's natural for the body. You can't, you know, you push your finger against your hand, the body resists the finger. I mean, there are, the pain is the way in which the body indicates to other parts of the brain that something's taking place that needs attention. I can't. Yeah, don't hold a sign up to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but psychologically, this is another story. And and while we're talking about these things, and I don't want you to lose it because I don't want to cut into your thread here. If you no, do. no, that's just okay. it, that, that we can prove to ourselves okay. that this is more than philosophy. Okay, all right, I got it. Here's the point. I don't want it to get lost in translation because we're talking about some things of a psychological nature, but it's really simple, Michael. We can learn what it means to be awake and aware of ourselves in the moment. Now, everybody knows those words. But what it means to us in terms of our practical experience and a way to employ it so that we begin to become conscious of how our own minds work. We're not trying to change ourselves. This is a big thing. I know it sounds like a paradox because what else is the self-discovery, the self-help path other than I'm not happy being an angry, frustrated, worried, depressed man or woman. I want to change it. Yes, of course we do. But the key here is that the wish to change these things originates from a, a nature that recognizes without having to think about it that these are limitating, self-compromising states of consciousness. To be an angry man is to compromise myself. To be a worried woman is to always be limiting myself to what those fears tell me. So the need to change ourselves is organic. It's literally organic, spiritually organic, to use the words. What happens, though, is that we get hold of ideas of what it means to change. We come up with ways in which change is supposed to take place, and instead of being able to meet change as we're intended from allowing, and I don't know what other words to use here, allowing the, this light that lives inside of us, God, this divine intelligence, allowing that to simply change us because we have brought what we are, our awareness of ourselves into the moment, and we see that there's a problem. For instance, I see that I'm anxious. If I see I'm anxious, Michael, I don't need to try to change myself into a situation where anxiety won't be. Anxiety is an indication of conflict in our system as a result of resistance. 
So if I'm actually aware of that there's conflict in me, and then anything my mind does to try to correct the condition is the continuation of that condition, then I'm simply left living in this moment with this anxious state. And that's what we don't want to do. You use the words die to the pain. Yeah. We don't want to die to the fact that we are not intended to change ourselves through any kind of imitative idea plan or process. We're meant to change by bringing the whole of ourselves into the moment where this living light that won't compromise itself can see what's going on. And when I see that the problem is that my mind has produced a fearful image that that it's resisting, it isn't what to do now. It's to simply set myself down. This is so so, uh, convoluted at times, but I remember when the early EST training came out in the early 1970s, and even then graduates sometimes would call themselves estholes. Because <laughs> part of the problem was, well, if I take responsibility for my life, then you must take responsibility for your life. And that's the end of it, as if we don't impact each other. Of and course. both things are true, of course. <clears throat> both things are true. There's no contradiction in what I'm saying. No. If I'm fully responsible in this moment, the first uh, result of that full act of responsibility is that I have a I have ceased continuing to live in conflict that can't be resolved by a mind pursuing its own ends. I've stopped that. I've put myself where it's possible for an intelligence, a wholeness to reveal the truth of that, and I lay it down. And in that moment, by the fact of my new and I'll use this words innocence, by the fact of my new harmlessness to myself and others, I am now in a relationship with you that I could not be in prior to that moment because I wasn't with you. I had no idea, I could not know what Michael feels if all I'm wrapped up is in what I'm feeling and trying to escape it or change it. Mm -hmm. I can't know what's going on in the room around me or what anyone else is doing because I'm too concerned with trying to get somewhere to get away from something. So that that kind of isolation that's produced by a mind wrapped up in its own imagery is the first act of in unresponsibility, especially if I'm trying to be kind, especially if I'm trying to be tolerant of other human beings. I have no relationship with another human being if I'm trying to be tolerant of them because I wouldn't even dawn on me to try to be tolerant of a person if I wasn't intolerant first and then come up with an image of how I should be. We have it backwards often. Totally. uh, We want to either control others or even uh, play to others in kind of a codependent or people-pleasing scheme that then we might understand something of ourselves rather than work to know ourselves directly and empathize then. Yeah, you know, it's so, when we started, I said that, that we had become a, a world of imitators. It, it, it isn't imitation, Michael, it's illumination that we need. And the reason that we're not content with the idea of just being present to ourselves and bearing our own states, being aware of what we are going through and what is going through with us, is because we want to be the ones in charge of our life. I want to be the one who says who I am, Mm -hmm. what I do, what I have, what I possess, and all the rest of that. And the truth is a completely different matter, which we have evidence of everywhere. We are here, and I'm using words carefully, 
to be a participant in a greater possession of something whose intelligence is not limited to the content of my past experience. It isn't something that's trying to continue who and what I am, but rather is trying to help me continually discover that who and what I've been can be changed right now while I'm talking to you if I'm willing to not try to be someone or something special according to my desires of what that is. And one more string on idea. And it is that desire. It is a dark desire, not morally, just a dark desire, an unseen, unconscious state that is equally in control of all uh, sentient beings that is forever by its very activity trying to complete itself. That's what desire does. Desire wants to complete itself. It is an entity unto itself, really. And in wanting to complete itself, it must imagine what it needs to do that. And the minute that this desire through our conditioned mind has imagined what it needs to do that, now I am identified with what I have, what my mind has pictured. And the minute that I'm identified with it, Michael, the minute I'm attached to that image of what I need to do, be, or have, even if it's to have a parking place, mm -hmm. then I am instantaneously going to resist any condition that comes up contrary to the image I'm holding. And it's not I that's holding it. It's literally a construct of desire through my conditioning. And to see that doesn't mean that I'm free of the desire. You can't be free of desire. It's like a flower being free of petals. You, the, the desire is, is a fundamental, uh, passionate force in us, necessary for our development. But I can recognize that desire doesn't evolve. It, it evolves images that feel like progress to it. But desire doesn't evolve. We're here to evolve desire, to literally participate in the fulfillment of this nature that of itself can't fulfill itself. Desire does not evolve, but we can consciously evolve the nature of the desire. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Very nice. That's what we're here for. Write that down, folks. <laughs> Guy Finley, my guest. You've heard him before on this program. Guy's been on Roy of Hollywood many times. and He and I go way back in the day to the early 80s. It's a pleasure to have him with us. Guy's got a brand new revised edition of one of his best books ever, The Secret of Letting Go. And uh, we want to let you know about that. And we'll take a break in just a second and phone calls uh, during the second half of the show. Let me share with you along these lines an idea that I've been... Um, playing with for the last few weeks. I went to a meeting, a conference, and heard a fellow a few weeks ago and heard a fellow talking about the stories of our lives. And this is sort of a success and motivation kind of a seminar, and I thought, oh, he's going to be talking about success stories. He's going to want to motiv he's going to motivate me with stories of success. And indeed it was that and a little bit more. But what hit me like a ton of bricks as I'm sitting here, and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm stunned. I think, gosh, I've heard it all before. What new is there? And then something so new comes along. <laughs> it's like Socrates and those guys are right. You just never get to the destination, dude. It's so beautiful. And suddenly, guy, I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I write and have always written the stories of my life. Stories I tell myself, 
stories I then repeat out loud to other people, well-rehearsed stories, and I hear other people telling me their stories, and it's the punchline is there, and it's also well-rehearsed, even if they never said it out loud before, because they've internally told it to themselves. And, and I'm thinking, my God, we write the stories of our lives, then play the character role in the story, forgetting that if I wrote the damn thing, I could do a rewrite, just like you've done a rewrite of it, Secret it, of Letting Go. It's so much so, and, and there's evidence all around us that these individual stories that we're using the word that we write, but really uh, desire writes it, really desire writes it. Desire comes in, here I've been this kind of person, I went through this, I did there and all this, that, and then, well, I want to just change this. So does the desire to be what I envision myself gives me a new story. But the evidence of life and where the resistance comes from and the pain is that there is a bigger story than the story I write. <laughs> A much bigger story. A much bigger story. It doesn't mean my story isn't valid in quotes, although my story is a story in time and my personality when it passes. These things are of no consequence, truly. But the bottom line is I can have my dream, my desire. I can set out to do what I do. But if I'm not living in the moment with the awareness of two stories at once and that my attention must be on the greater story first then I'm going to be subject to anything that that greater story brings along that challenges my idea of what I need to be a happy person. So that, queerly enough, the very seed of what I think my happiness is becomes the seed of my unhappiness when I don't understand life is actually trying to give me something better. Life comes along and says, no, that's not going to work. Now, I can sit and hate and regret and resent, or I can realize, you know, I did the best that I knew how to do up to this moment. Now life is saying it doesn't mean there isn't further to go, guy. It just means that who you were up until this moment can't go there. So you have to let him go. You have to let go of who it was that you thought you should be, who you are because of what they did or didn't do. You have to set him down now because the pain is the evidence of a mind that has come to a point where it's starting to run into a wall and it's saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and it's killing you. doesn't mean there's not a way. It just means that the new way is going to belong to a mind that has awakened to the old way as being impassable. There's a biblical admonition that to those who believe in a higher power, in a... Um, supreme intelligence or organization behind the veil, whatever you want to call it. To those who believe, all things work together for good. Oh, yeah. I like to add to that in spite of appearance. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most... it doesn't always look No, no, no. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. If I think that my happiness is predicated on perfect health, I'm a goner. Maybe happiness is the discovery that I can live from something within myself that gains no matter what life brings to me, including pain or sorrow or loss, because it isn't I who loses. It isn't I. Look, all I can lose, Michael, is an idea of what it means to have owned something. That's all one can really lose. Letting go in the long run begins when we discover that holding on hurts too much. As I discover that holding on to 
who I was, what you did, and what you did and who I was, in case it's not clear, they're really one thing. My sense of self is predicated on my ideas of my relationships with others. When I start to recognize, okay, in this moment I can let him go. I can bring myself back, and instead of trying to figure out how to get around this, I can become a part of what I am in this moment. I can become awake right now and bear what I am. Not have a future, but rather enter into this present moment where this divine intelligence is waiting to change my nature, waiting, Michael, to show me that it isn't so much the object of my desire was incorrect, but that being identified with the object of my desire has produced the image that's produced the resistance that's brought the pain. So it's not a question of not having some place to go to be, but rather, can I be in this present moment and do what I need to do without pain, without that fear and worry? And the answer is yes. It's one of those maximum paradoxes to give your heart to everything with everything you have and be free of caring about how it turns out. So where does will come into all of this? Well, will, because... You can't separate will from desire, can you? I'm not sure. I'm asking. I mean, this... To an uninitiated or semi-initiated, this might sound really passive. Oh, I mean, no, no. God, oh. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> where does, where's the alternative? Where's, what is the self, then, that um, drives the car? Because, because we, we have this wrong picture. It's so hard, isn't it, to, to be a human being and speak in language? Yeah, um, we need better words. Um, because we start with a false premise. See, the premise is that my happiness depends on the goal that I've set for myself. Mm -hmm. And as long as the goal is the, is the good, then anything that interferes with the good is going to be my pain. Mm -hmm. But if I start with the premise that the goal is a way for me to discover the good in myself, that the goal is merely something that I, I do, that I move towards, but not for the sake of obtaining the goal for the sake of the goal, but for the sake of on the way to the goal through the process of discovering all the ways in which there is something good in me that may at one point say, you know what, the goal is silly. Yeah. And I see that now, how silly that is. I can change my mind. I, my mind will change itself yeah. when, I, when I see, look, I had a goal to be a president, to be a billionaire, yada, yada, yada. And then one day my wife got deathly ill or I had a terrible sickness and I realized how stupid stupid my goal was because the thing is my health just at the simplest level well now what happened to that goal it isn't that it's a bad goal but now it's in its proper place in my mind it is in the proper place in the story of stories now it's just a story that's a subplot in a bigger story which is the good of my body the good of my relationships and the good of the planet so that as we see that it isn't that one doesn't have will that'd be like trying not to be a human being but rather that will becomes an instrument through which we're able to reflect back upon ourselves and see, you know what, I'm, I'm a, I didn't know I was so ambitious. And I thought my will, the purpose of will was to free me. On my mind and vision, I would do this, I'd get free. But I didn't get free, I became a slave. So my will acting without intelligence is a blind animal. I might as well have a donkey directing me through life. If I have will without intelligence, without awareness... So if on the way to our desire, we encounter a great adventure, 
take it. This is it. The whole thing is the adventure. This is, I just can't say the words. <laughs> Look, we are. Well, you know what you do, guy. You breathe life into these stale aphorisms. Oh, hey, it's the journey, <laughs> yeah. not the destination. <laughs> well, yeah, say it three times and it loses all of its meaning. We, we, we have become individuals whose mindset is wrapped around the idea of possession, whether it's personal power, whether it's something to come in the future. Even if we're on the path, we e possess that. Even students along the aspirants possess spiritual principles. The point here is not to be a possessor of something, but rather to be a participant in the moment. The greatest richness in the world that can never be surpassed is a certain peace of mind that comes with the discovery that who and what we are cannot be added to ourselves through what we imagine. And when I'm willing to bring myself back, then I can start to participate in this, in this marvelous ocean of life that lives inside of me that is changing itself. The, part, the big story knows what it's doing. It doesn't need me in there monkeying with how to make life better. <laughs> the prime directive. <clears throat> Uh, time is, uh, is, uh, flying, of course. Taking wings, of <clears throat> course. Let me take a short break. We'll come back. I'd like to get some calls in here, too. Cause, yes. uh, are you going to speak locally? Are you going to be at the Bodhi Tree or anything? Uh, no, I'm not. But I do have something special that I want to offer your listeners when we come back. Okay. So stay <clears throat> tuned for that. Guy Finley, my guest on KFPFK. We're here on Intervision till two o'clock this afternoon. Your telephone calls to well, our producer is Brooks. You'll talk to her before you get on the air. Questions is mostly what we're looking for here. No long-winded comments, but we'd love to hear your questions at 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK and 818. We'll be right back. This is Intervision on KPFK. KPFK and your very own radio at 90.7 FM. Guy Finley is my guest. Guy, I want to do a quick little detour with you. Just because I'm interested, yeah. I haven't asked you this question in a long time, but I know your background. Your father was a talk radio host, um, very interested in music as well as talk. You are a musician, a yes. songwriter. You wrote for a lot of people. You had a number of hits. And in the late 70s, you began to get interested in this well the, the my personal interest started when i was 12 years old so it was even earlier yeah than that. yeah i had an experience when i was a boy that uh now looking back roughly 44 years later 45 years later it was a keystone event in my life what I just, happened I don't like to talk about it michael i really don't okay i, I really don't but it was something that something uh super extraordinary took place when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And uh, and it really turned my life at that point. And uh, I went into music because I didn't know what else to do when you're 16 or 17. I wasn't envisioning being a spiritual author. Uh, I did. I, we, you know, first white soft rock artist with Motown on the RCA, worked with Neil Diamond, blah, blah, blah. Uh, had a great run at it, but I, I, I just was thoroughly dissatisfied Around 1975, I, I just quit. I just started traveling. I went around the world a couple times, tried to find somebody that could originally, you know, slap me on the forehead and wake me up. But uh, 
I'm afraid that's a, an illusion too. <laughs> uh, not that there aren't people out there who, you know, who's been. It's nice to be around because they have nice energy. Well, how did you find Vernon <clears throat> Howard? When I came back in '79, uh, I was ready to hang up the search relative to other people, and I, this man I knew, just walked up one day and said, "You got to go hear this guy Vernon Howard talk," and I said. Number one, no. Number two, an, an American, not a chance. Number three, Vernon Howard. What kind of spiritual name is that? And I blew it off. But the next morning, I, and this was a bit of a miracle, I remembered where this guy said that Mr. Howard was going to be speaking. And I, uh, you know, on the street. And I literally drove from Malibu out to North Hollywood, up and down North Hollywood, at whatever that street was, found the church that he was talking at, and went in halfway through his talk and, and, uh, and then met him afterwards, and the rest is a, a form of history. Well, he must have seen something in you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, "He said, I know all about you." He uh, said, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't take it as a compliment either. <laughs> <laughs> I miss him. Oh God! Well, you know what? He's not gone, Michael. I know that. Yeah, he, I miss his. Physical yeah, presence. he was. Uh, and that's the way he would scold us. Yeah, yeah. Vernon was irascible. He was. He was indeed. Sometimes he'd get so frustrated. It's like he would say, uh, like many teachers, you know, Buddhists sometimes do that. Oh, hit you with a stick and well, uh, try to wake you up. I, you know? If anyone out there has listened to any of my talks, I I, I will wield a stick myself. <laughs> you have to, because we're so complacent. Sleep, asleep. Yeah. It's a sweet narcotic, sleep. It is. Well, it's bittersweet. And not just the <clears throat> sleep at night, but during the other, uh, you know, Our 16 hours a yeah. day as well. Yeah. So, let's get back on track, which is, uh, oh, yeah. okay. as a result of being a mentee of Vernon's, you've for the last couple of decades. Um, I think he'd be very, very proud of you, by the way. Um, I had some very uh, close moments with Mr. Howard when he was passing away. Uh, I was given uh, some instructions, and uh, and I'm, I am doing the best that I, I know how to do. He That's passed the torch to you? Well, just, just you know what? I, the, the same rose never blooms twice, Michael. The same rose never blooms twice. It, there, it's, there's a tragedy, and I don't want to get into this because it, it's not really relevant to what I'm doing now. The, the, so much uh, of the men and women who work with Mr. Howard, they, they just don't understand that when a, when, a, when, a, when a rose blooms and passes, it's not the end of the flower. It's just the end of that form of it. And it would be unnatural yeah. for that form to continue. It's unnatural for that form to continue. It's very Platonic. Plato said the roseness of the rose is in the ideation of God, not in the appearance of the exactly. rose. Exactly. And, yeah. and so, so many people cling to this idea. A teacher, a, a true teacher is merely a momentary flash, an, an illumination not of his persona and not of his principle, but of the powers that he or she, was willing to put themselves in relationship with and then say, look, you do this too. You, you, you enter into this relationship. Yeah. You participate yeah. in this world. And, uh, you know, initially it <clears throat> might feel like a sacrifice, but the re rewards are so awesome when you dedicate your life to something like yes. that. Instead of building your resume or the stories we tell or 
We've talked about it a, a couple of different ways. Let's take some telephone calls, Guy. Let's start with Linda in uh, in Colorado, listening, no doubt, on the Internet. Hello, Linda. You're on the... Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. You're right ahead. Okay, I'm a young mother of four. Um, I got married five years ago and that was four kids in four years and uh, very independent, business-minded, and all of a sudden, I became a mother, and I realized that uh, I don't know how to teach my children what uh, not to be or what to be, which is what I was before. And I realized that everything that I was doing was not how I want my children to become. And it's really hard to come out of myself and teach them to be tolerant or calm or quiet and not think about buying and eating and running and all the stuff that children are used to in this society. So I guess I just need your thoughts on that. I think, Linda, this... It's, and I misspoke. It's oh, Lita. Hi, right? Lita. Lita, this is Guy. Hi, Guy. Uh, hi, Lita. First, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you because it, you're on the right path. Yeah. There, there's a beautiful Robert Frost quote that says, sometime we must depart without being certain of where we're going. Mm-hmm. And and that's where you are. You have to depart what you know not to be, what not to show, what not to teach your children. If you'll depart from that and be honest with them, say, you know what, uh, like say you lose your temper with them. Imagine if my mother or father had ever said to me, you know what, sweetheart, I'm so sorry I lost my temper. A man or a woman should not express this kind of anger, nor should they swallow it, but rather we should learn to be present to it and teach them as best you can what it means to be present to themselves, even at their young age. Children are sponges. Mm-hmm. And if you can be present in your own work with them and at the same time help them, you know, let's say you see one of them getting anxious and you talk it through. What are you anxious about? Well, you know, Billy's going to do something tomorrow. And well, sweetheart, tomorrow isn't now, is it? We're sitting here together and we're safe. Can you see that your mind is trying to show you something that's frightening and that you don't need to be afraid now because we're together? Mm-hmm. So, so little examples where you can bring them back to the present moment and orient them to their own awareness of their own minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, the intelligence that's innate in them will begin to help them work through these things. And if you'll do your work, Lita, the, 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 you'll have a great life with your kids. I, I think mm-hmm. that's wonderful. You keep up the good work. And if, and if I can be self-serving here, Lita, get, have you ever read the, the Secret of Letting Go book? The Secret of? The Secret of Letting Go. Letting Go. Uh-huh. No. no. Um, I'm going to give the information out uh, with Michael. Do it now? Sure. Okay. Lita, yeah. go, go to GuyFinley.org. Uh-huh. www.GuyFinley.org. You should spell Finley. F-I-N-L-E-Y. Right. Okay. GuyFinley.org. And right on the homepage, right at the top, you'll see a banner for the, the, the Letting Go book. Click on it. And get the book. My foundation ships anywhere in the United States free, so it's cheaper than Amazon. And for for Michael's listeners, I'm going to send a free DVD with any book that's ordered. So you'll get a book and you'll get this free DVD that's very helpful because it has to do with ways in which we can uh, address this new kind of command that we're looking for. So go to GuyFinley.org. And get the book, and I'm saying this to you because there are stories, teaching stories in the Letting Go material that you can actually go over with your children, that you can read to your children and then talk about 
the meaning of it together. What a great thing that is would be. Is there a promo code or something she needs to no. enter when, to get when, that? When, when she goes to order the book, there'll be a, you know, comment, a box directly under it. Write in the comment box, Michael Benner. That's the code. The code is Michael Benner. Then the foundation will know to include the free, the free DVD. There you go. And how do you spell Benner? B-E-N-N-E-R. Okay. Right. Thanks, Lita. All right. Thank you so much. Good luck. Good working. Let's go to Angel in Hollywood. You're on uh, KPFK and Intervision. My guest is Guy Finley. Hi, Angel. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and uh, peace and light to you. It's a beautiful show, and I'm really enjoying every second of it. In fact, I started hearing you guys about 20 minutes ago and decided to pull over and uh, enjoy the show and be present to it. Very nice. Um, Brother Guy, I, I love what you're saying, man. It's It really warms up the heart. I mean, no going, no coming, no after, no before. And the question for you is, what do you personally do to stay in the moment? Be it uh, when something arises or when nothing is arising. How do you stay in the moment? And I'm going to hang up and listen to your comment off the air. Thank you. Thanks, Angel. You bet, Angel. Look, we start with understanding the need to be present to ourselves. And that, that init- the birth of that need is born out of discovering that the plans and the ways that we've been participating ultimately betray us. So we begin with understanding that we must discontinue being ourselves. But the energy of, of presence, and I'll just throw this in because I think it's worthwhile, the, the present moment to us is an idea but the truth is, it's a presence. The present moment is actually a presence. And this presence has its own life. The energy of presence is what we want. Because it doesn't work to be here. It is what is here. It is here itself. It's hereness itself. So we start with wanting to participate in a new presence. And that means that we have to discontinue the fascination we have with ourselves because the mind is endlessly fascinated with its own machinations. So it starts with the discovery that I must be present to myself. And as I am more and more present to myself, I begin to go through a change in which the presence of this moment is far more valuable to me than my own plotting and planning and the sense of self that's a derivative of that. So work with it. Just work. Just work. Start over. Start over. Start over. Bring yourself back. Bring yourself back. And as you'll do that, you'll begin to have more moments where you recognize that you had actually taken from yourself something vital by trying to give to yourself a victory you imagined. Back to the telephones. Let's go to Redondo Beach in Blair. You're on Intervision. We just have a couple of more minutes. You're with Guy Finley. Hi, Blair. Hi. I just wanted you to repeat that sentence you said a few minutes ago before the break that was, who and what we are cannot be added to ourselves by what we imagine. Now, is that what you said exactly? Well, roughly, Blair, what I said is that your true nature might, our true nature, it's not individual in the sense of it, our true nature, you can't add anything to it because it's, it's, it's this presence itself. Right. It is a, a living dynamic. It is, the, it is to, to use some other words, and I'll jump off quickly here, it is where these three forces, of, they're active, passive, and reconciling. It's where desire itself is fulfilling itself, creating itself, and passing. And it's a life. 
So when we try to add something to ourselves, we can only do it through thinking about what we want. And anything we can think about is a derivative of our past. So we don't escape ourselves. We continue who and what we've been. So learning to bear ourselves and be present to ourselves is the first step in entering into this this other relationships in which this living presence, which is peace, which is compassion, all the things that we that in our heart of hearts we want is there for us. So work, okay? And go to GuyFinley.org. There's a whole f- bunch of free stuff there, including a newsletter, just an endless sea of information, FAQ. Go there, Linda, and investigate, okay? Thank you so much. Okay. And let me mention that in addition to your print books, you've got uh, numerous audio books. <clears throat> I have over... Uh, over 18 books on tape. And are you still doing the uh, retreats and the workshops up in Oregon? Once a year we have our, our, our annual gathering uh, where I present a new audio book uh, in June. All that's online. We have a Christmas banquet. All that's online. GuyFinley.org. Uh, I love the name of the city you're in. I can't believe you didn't think it yourself. <laughs> this man's headquarters in Oregon are in a city, a little, little borough, Merlin. <laughs> Merlin, Oregon. I get a feeling you saw it and said, this is it, Eureka. (laughs) I went to find it, and I couldn't find it at the time, honest to God. Like Vernon Howard, but you persisted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much, as always. Know that you're always welcome on this radio program. And, um, uh, well, that, that begs a whole story. I'll have to tell you off the air about my future, but it's all good news, of course. And, uh, again, on behalf of all of my listeners and Everyone who owns a Guy Finley book or a tape, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Michael. Your contribution is just so significant. Uh, I wish we, uh, I wish you had more time every time. Yeah, I do too. It's never enough. But uh, we have eternity. It we do, be, in a way. But patient. Yes. Guy Finley, my guest, get his book, The Secret of Letting Go. And again, if you put my name in the comments box, you get that free DVD, GuyFinley.org. That's F-I-N-L-E-Y. GuyFinley.org, the new version, expanded and revised of The Secret of Letting Go. You're going to love it. Guy, thanks a lot. And thanks to D'Angelo, as always, our uh, engineer, Brooks, our producer, Doreen Key, my wife, for all her help, her invaluable assistance, and to each of you for uh, for listening, for tuning in, for grabbing the podcast. My website is theagelesswisdom.com. Join us next Friday. We'll be here, as always, and a lot of you I'm going to see on Sunday at the class. So that's real exciting, too. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. You've been listening to Inner Vision on Radio Powered by the People. KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. And you can also listen live at www.kpfk.org.